I'm Paul Comfort, and on this edition of Transit Unplugged, we travel to Indianapolis, Indiana, where we speak to Michael Terry, CEO of Indigo, the transit system there. Michael heads up this municipal corporation, which is located in the old Duesenberg Motor Company factory with eight and a half acres under roof. He's brought all kinds of innovations to the transit system, including an on-site primary health care clinic for their employees, which has greatly reduced the cost of health care for their employees and their budget. You'll want to hear all about that, as well as how he was able to get an income tax referendum passed, which is going to fund a 70% increase in service over the next five years. They're doing everything from increasing the frequency and the span of bus service and creating a new grid system to adding three new BRT lines over the next five years and going to 100% electric buses. They're going to do all of that in the next few years, and you'll want to hear about it directly from the CEO, Michael Terry, on today's edition of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort, your host of Transit Unplugged. And today we're excited to be here in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, in the Indigo headquarters with Michael Terry, president and CEO of Indigo. We've just spent the last couple hours talking about all the great plans that he has uh, for the system. Michael, thanks for inviting me in today. Oh, it's great, Paul. Thanks for uh, making the trip here. Absolutely. Uh, you guys are uh, amazing. I mean, you, you kind of gave me your catchphrase, which is to prepare for scalable growth. Right. Uh, and we're going to talk about that briefly. But first, after our conversations, it became, once again, very clear to me, the value of having a CEO at a location for a long time. Yeah. You've been here a little while, and you've, you've, you've kind of like really got Indigo integrated into the system, uh, into the city, into what's happening here. That can only happen when someone's been here a while. Tell us about your background and how you ended up here. Uh, interesting. I, I'm from uh, Kentucky, Louisville originally, but uh, went to school at uh, DePaul University, a small uh, liberal arts school, and uh, was more like a pre-med major. Okay. Uh, uh, coming out of that, uh, decided to take a different turn uh, and uh, end up in Indianapolis, uh, and uh, then end up doing my MBA here at Butler University, uh, Big East School, go, go dogs. <laughs> um, and we... Uh, my wife and I have just stayed here, but I got into uh, actually business with the American Automobile Association. Spent uh, a little bit of a tenure there and then uh, joined uh, the state as deputy commissioner over our state license branch system. It's like and a motor vehicle or a DMV, is, something exactly, like that. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, we have 92 counties and uh, license branches and multiples. And so it was an opportunity to, to bring efficiencies and, and uh, the word customer service the state government services. Yeah, uh, what an anachronism. Exactly. It was a new concept. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, then did some uh, human resource consulting, uh, human capital management for a few years with a small firm, and uh, then had an opportunity to uh, join uh, my mentor and uh, my predecessor here, Gil Holmes, uh, who was uh, actually the commissioner at the Motor Vehicles, and we'd been friends for a long time, but we had worked and had developed a very good relationship, and uh, uh, we... Uh, knew each other well enough and how we operated, which kind of to your point of longevity and, and working, uh, having a team of people uh, together. Um, so I came here in 2003, uh, so I'm in my 15th year, and uh, the board of directors, uh, 
asked me to assume the uh, leadership role here in 2008, uh, permanently in 2009. Uh, and so we've had some great opportunities to, uh, again, stability in the sense of leadership here, uh, but uh, not without a lot of pain and anguish mm -hmm. as most of our transit uh, colleagues experience with between funding and, and uh, human resources and uh, uh, dealing with the public in terms of uh, what do they want in their community. So tell us about the scope of Indigo, um, how many buses, how many routes, what your budget is, kind of like just give us the yeah. elevator pitch about, tell us about Indigo a little well, bit. Well, we've been operating on, uh, with uh, limited resources as most of our transits are challenged with. Uh, we're asked to do the same thing or more with less each year <laughs> and our funding beyond the federal, we have some state funding. Uh, most of our funding has been local through property tax and of course fares of people who ride the system. Uh, the system, we have about 31 fixed routes. Okay. Uh, we have about 160 uh, fixed route buses. Some are ticks. We used to have a glorious fleet, probably twice as many buses back in the mid 80s, twice as many, as many hours of service and just erosion that's occurred. As most of our transit colleagues know, when you start cutting back, many times it's not routes as much as frequency and hours of available service or weekends, and we start chipping away. Um, so our, our system, um, we also run a paratransit service, and we go beyond the federal uh, transit ADA. We cover the entirety of the county. Are you door-to-door -door or curb-to-curb? -curb? We are a door-to-door. -door. Just like most cities are now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, it's the challenges, of course, there pre-ADA to have this service. Uh, it's difficult to bring it back to the three-quarter mile. Right. So we're covering. So we're being looking at creative ways right now and how do we deliver our, our paratransit services. Uh, and we're converting over to TransDev okay. uh, from an MB contract, which we've had for years. This is for a competitive process. So your paratransit contracted out. Your fixed route, you run yourself. Yes. Unionized. Uh, ATU. ATU, Local right. Local 1070. So um, uh, tell us about your board governance structure. I think it's unique here. Are you like an instrumentality of the city, so to speak? We're a municipal, municipality, municipal, a municipal corporation. Okay. Uh, similar to what our public library, our airport, uh, our health and hospital corporation that created by our state statute. Uh, however, our budgets go through our city council and we don't report directly to the mayor, but our council has four appointees to our board. They're not elected, and our mayor has three appointees. Uh, so we have a seven-member uh, board, and they've been very good. I mean, it's evolved over the, over the years. And I think as many of us uh, in transit leadership, it's uh, helping to find the balance between what the board's role and what uh, staff and management's role. Yes. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't want to encroach on either right, side right uh and helping to uh develop your board as and, and helping gain that trust uh, that you have to earn and the confidence as you build your team and your delivering um, so it's uh, it's been really, very rewarding i think we, i'm very pleased we have a very good board now right now yeah i think you must have earned their trust because in just a moment we're going to talk <laughs> about a 70 percent increase in service coming here uh, but first off i got to comment on your building yep. this is a phenomenal building uh it's really like i don't know what you call it art deco or something it's tell us about the history of it a little bit pretty well, neat it's it's based off of uh, the, the foundation off the old duesenberg motor car company where they would build uh duesenbergs um and in the mid-80s, this property was a portion of the buildings were renovated but expanded. And we have eight and a half acres 
under roof. Under roof. So all I'm of telling our buses you, are here. Listeners, you would be so jealous if you saw his uh, facility here. It's phenomenal. It's 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 wonderful, and it, it will accommodate the expansions that we'll be talking about in a minute uh, as well. But the uh, facility is just, it's really phenomenal in the sense of the, the location we have in, right in the urban core and the accessibility as far as central location. Yes, you're right near the downtown area. It's great. Yep. The city is laid out really great here, I think. Uh, one of the best planned cities I think I've ever seen in a downtown area. Each block is, what, one-tenth of a mile, and yep. you have nice east-west roads and nice north-south roads. Probably um, modeled us, after uh, Washington D.C. Yeah, which hasn't, which didn't stay that way. I mean, it's, I find it one of the hardest cities to get around in yep. personally. But uh, okay, so let's talk about um, kind of uh, some of the cool concepts I think you're bringing to the table as you prepare for scalable growth. You've been looking at ways to kind of manage your costs better. Right. And one of the neat things you've done is on the healthcare side. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I. Uh, our efforts over the years have been, we can have all kinds of plans and all of us do these comprehensive operational analysis and, and, uh, but it's lacking the funding to invest, to grow your system. And, and that means get the public trust and your elected officials trust that you're being good stewards of your funding and that you're demonstrating that you're not just the black hole of waste and mismanagement of, of government. Uh, our efforts were to first look at the efficiencies, and our colleagues in the transit world know this, looking at ways in which it's not just cost-cutting, it's, it's where you can improve the delivery of your services and control your costs, the growth of the expense. It could be from fuel purchasing, that we buying diesel fuel either on contracts or speculating or hedge funding uh, where you need to... Uh, but one of the areas we recognized was a big challenge was our health care. It was out of control. Mm -hmm. We have a union contract where we have to negotiate the benefit, the plan itself. It's not just the split. And that we had no deductible when I first started, uh, which means there was no personal responsibility that people felt. What are my prescriptions going to cost if I'm going to have a treatment someplace or which hospital to go to? Also, our, our loss ratios were over uh, 115, almost 120 percent uh, loss ratio. Uh, the healthcare providers weren't wanting to write our business, and so we sat down with, in this case, Blue Cross Blue Shield Anthem, uh, and worked with them to say, if you would commit to holding, we're going to start a wellness program, uh, personal accountability, and then we said we're going to have a on-site primary healthcare clinic. And so we've, we contract right now with a company called Activate Health. We have a uh, on-site uh, doctor, Dr. Molly. Uh, we have a nurse practitioners. We have technicians doing health assessments for the wellness program, health coaching, uh, a lot of issues uh, uh, with our workforce with because of many of the drivers, it's a sedentary type of a role, smoking issues, obesity, uh, hypertension, diabetes are, are all challenges, and I think that's universal yes, in, in yes. a lot of business, but in, particularly in transit. Uh, Seventy percent minority, uh, uh, which uh, and about five hundred employees. Five hundred employees. So we're we're trying to get our employees to pay attention personally to their health and start bringing down our healthcare, uh, at least the growth of our healthcare. So since I've been here, we've been able to over the last say five or six years implement the wellness program, starting to be very effective. Um, loss ratios are, are coming down. 
we're starting to get competition then too. We're now, it wasn't just Anthem, other healthcare providers, which was excellent. That's one of the things we wanted. We also wanted to improve the productivity and absenteeism uh, that you would have. So that started uh, to stabilize as well. Uh, right now, we're operating at a, in the 70% loss ratio. Uh, we have a good, uh, our health, the workforce is getting healthier. We have competition. The last couple of years, we've either had uh, no increase or a reduction in our health care cost. Uh, I, I want to highlight that. I don't know anybody else who I've talked to recently who's been able to have for two or three years in a row flat or reduced prices for their health insurance. And it's it's really a phenomenal. We went down and looked at his clinic, and it's right here in the, in their main facility. I think they gave you a physical, didn't yeah. they? <laughs> yeah. Maybe no, not. <laughs> no, I've got to go see my own doctor. No, <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's, that's just a, a really good practical way to manage overall costs, to show that you're being a good steward of the taxpayer's funds so that then they'll be willing to invest a little more in you yep. for the future. So let's talk about that now. What happened with this uh, uh, referendum and what are you doing with that money? Uh, like many of our transit systems, it's years in the making. Uh, it requires a number of uh, toggles to be uh, switched on uh, or off. Uh, state legislation had to occur to allow for a, uh, a central Indiana uh, opportunities for increasing funding, which they tied to a referendum. And uh, it allowed for a income tax, which is not the best, as we know, for transit. Uh, but for us, that uh, was what was given to us. So when 98% of your population isn't using your service, you need to demonstrate that you're worth investing in. And that's been a theme that we talk with our employees here and our team members that uh, would they invest in us? Yeah, we're a public entity, but we're stakeholder, stakeholders of the taxpayers. And if they're not proud of what they're doing and what they're delivering and how we're delivering it, why would anybody else feel that way? So we worked hard to be able to present a plan, develop a plan. Over the, over the years, a comprehensive operational analysis, we came up with new strategies. Uh, it's not more and more and more. It's here's the dollars, uh, and we redesign the system. Uh, and this is discussions that I know they're occurring in other cities. What's the best use of mass transit? What's the role of mass transit? We can't be all things to all people. And I know it's a challenge when you have governance, uh, city councils, and everybody wants a chicken in their pot. Uh, but the greater good that comes in, where's the, where are our competencies? Uh, where are the, the best utilization of our services? So we would work with Jarrett Walker and Associates, uh, looked at differently at what does the city want? There's a lot of public input process. And the input was focus your resources on, on high frequency, available service every day, but looking at where the density and the highest productivity will occur. So that's where we've designed the system. We went out in 2016 to the public with uh, information about how the system would look, a five-year strategy which would increase service by 70% with a 0.25% uh, income tax. Our that's but, bringing in about $54 million a year, you think? To be used uh, in combination with uh, uh, operating uh, mm -hmm. capital. Some of that would be funded through some bond payments. We've run the 20-year cash flow, and, and with our current funding that we have, we're, we're very stable. Good. Um, so you've got what's coming right now. You've got you've showed me some really neat things that are coming. Well, we looked at it with... Uh, in the design, we've, we've not had bus rapid transit, so 
Uh, there's rail. Our area, we just didn't feel like rail was going to be cost effective, plus in the infrastructure that were the routes we were looking. So we have three bus rapid transit lines. Uh, this is a five-year implementation strategy. The first uh, bus rapid transit will occur uh, right now. It's under uh, construction contracts. We've not completed the notice to proceed. We have a small starts uh, grant that we're waiting to have finally executed and hopefully by March. Uh, so we're about $75 million of federal money. It's about a $96 million project uh, with all the design. That'll be a 13 mile. Uh, half of that will be in dedicated lanes, stations in the middle uh, of the, the roadway. Uh, it, it, we're gonna be using uh, 60 foot uh, full battery electric buses. Uh, actually our whole fleet we're committing to moving to full electric. We've had the opportunity to have 21 electric buses for the last couple of years and, and we feel this is the direction for us to go, especially with the uh, competitiveness and also the uh, technology, uh, uh, the evolution that's occurring with the battery technology. Uh, so the, there are two other bus rapid transit lines uh, that will overlay uh, existing uh, high frequent, I mean high uh, ridership mm -hmm. routes we have right now, and those will come over the next few years. They're starting the design work for those. But the big kicker, it's not just the B, that's the new shiny fast always right. gets the attention. Right. It's the increase in the frequency and creating a grid network in the high density areas where a frequent route, meaning 15 minutes or better, will connect with another frequent route for 15 minutes or better. Right now, you might have an hour frequency connecting with an hour frequency, which is awful. Um, for those who have choices, they're not gonna ride. Those who don't, it's terrible for their commutes in use of the system. So increasing the frequency on routes, the span of hours and service, which many times we don't always talk about, starting earlier, running later, weekend service, every route every day. Uh, and this will occur, again, it's a five-year strategy. We committed to our uh, city council and our board when we went to present our budget for 2018 that this is a, a ramping up. We can't just hire people for 2019 when we're going to, June of 19 is when we, we say pull the Band-Aid off is when right. the, our first rapid transit line would open up and we'll make the most major uh, investments in our system. We said in 18 months, we're going to increase, we're going to implement 70% of our five-year plan. So a 70% increase of the whole system, but 70% of that five-year plan within 18 months. Wow. So a huge lift. Yep. Hiring uh, operators, mechanics, supervisors, other departments that need to ramp up. And you were telling me earlier, you're basically here in a full employment area. Unemployment is low, so that's yep. going to be a heavy lift. Well, working, uh, especially when looking at uh, the technology side, the lack of CDLs that are uh, have, um, we're looking to do our own CDL training. We've been contracting it. We've been paying for people to get their CDLs. Uh, so we're changing the way our training works at this point. Also to have, I want an open uh, for the community. If somebody's interested oh, yeah. in learning more about how to get a CDL, we'll have a free class come in and we'll, we'll talk about getting your learner's permit. It's a recruiting opportunity for us, right? but uh, we'll pick and choose or, or hope these people learn more about us. But then I, if those we hire who don't have their CDLs, we would train them and go through and then they do their testing at the state testing location. Sure. So you're, you're, uh, the phrase that comes to my mind is you're turning Indianapolis into a transit town. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, well, we're, we're, even with the investment that we're making, um, 
doesn't put us into the top tier. And this has been a real challenge when uh, we're in a very fiscally conservative uh, market. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, right now, our transit system is probably ranked in the 80s in terms of the, of the uh, per capita investment. Our, this new investment is only going to take us up into the, the 65th, and that's assuming nobody else moves. Right. Um, and if we're the 12th to 15th largest metropolitan area, uh, that still doesn't bode well. But I think our challenges are to, one, effectively implement what we said we are going to implement. And this gets to the point of establishing in the past this uh, a, an organization that's prepared for scalable growth, mm-hmm. that uh, the foundation is strong, just like any other system, any other business. You don't build on sand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to have a good foundation and the structure. And that includes things like leadership and, and management training and development. Uh, getting our workforce prepared as we add uh, other individuals, seeing career advancements. Some good models out there of other transit systems that have done some wonderful things in in uh, leadership development and, and building up their, uh, their workforce internally. That's wonderful. I mean, it's a very practical approach toward growing transit and helping it reach out more than beyond its traditional um, uh, transit-dependent uh, ridership. Um, it's, it's uh, reminiscent to me of, um, in Baltimore, there was a guy named Kevin Quinn, who was my planning director, who I call the architect, if you follow the matrix, you know. <laughs> He's the architect of the Baltimore Link system. And um, his ideas were uh, very similar to what you are talking about here. And it's been successful, which mm-hmm. is in, on the heavy hauler routes, move them to the high frequency service. Yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, and expand the hours to when you really need them etc. Now one thing you're uh, talking about doing, I don't know if you can talk about it too much, but is uh, what's the role, once you ramp up the service levels to higher service levels, what's the role of transit in helping university students and, and public school students? And then your theory, which I really like about you know getting them to ride early so that they become transit adopters to their lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, we, we've the old days, uh, right. we used to be called Metro, uh, and this is prior to uh, the desegregation, yellow school buses, and the urban cores moving people, students around. People would use public transportation system to get to their, their schools, but you had na- neighborhood schools. So we're working with and the discussion with our uh, public schools, but also the private schools, the charter schools uh, that are out there to begin thinking and utilizing the system again. Uh, we have two large publicly funded transit systems, our Indigo, but then our public school systems uh, are running buses. There are economies of scale. There's efficiencies or duplications that we can uh, eliminate. Um, the concept would be to me not just back and forth to school, but to make it universally used by students so they can get it, their general mobility, getting around. And as you said, I think creating this life skill of using public transportation wherever they may be, uh, they see that you're seeing youth nowadays not. They're delaying getting their driver's licenses. They're not right. owning cars as much. Uh, they want to have some alternative. So that's just working with our institutions. We just have not had the capacity and just the erosion that's mm-hmm. occurred over the years. Because again, we had twice the amount of vehicles in our fleet and the service we delivered in the mid eighties than we have right now. So now growing the system and focusing on the, uh, the, capacity, the capacity and the productivity of our routes and where the density occurs, we'll start seeing, I think, now universal use of, of that by some of these more urban-based systems. 
But this gets to the, the role of transit, right? which is uh, we are mass transit for a reason. We, we look at productivity in terms of how many riders we have. How do we embrace the alternatives that are out there as partners and not competition? In the Ubers and Lyfts and taxis and limos and bike shares and pedestrian walking are all part of mobility. Uh, and so we're, we're looking at how can we create an app that says, uh, here's where I want to go and when I want to go, and here are all my options. And those are determined, our decisions are determined by price and, and, and time, how much time I'm willing to invest, and let the public decide or whoever the user decide, but we're part of the mobility options that are available. Um, and that's where I think transit needs to go. We're not looking at ourselves, we shouldn't be looking at ourselves as we're the only game in town, or that these alternatives are eroding our, our ridership. Uh, they are first mile, last mile, they're complementary, that's another option. We just need to focus on where the best use of mass transit, and that gets into land use and uh, how many shared ride vehicles or just people riding in their single occupancy vehicles are jamming up the streets that then people want to widen them and, and uh, put a roof on and put a double deck and, and we've invested, now we got to maintain that right. versus having less parking garages and more higher, better use, whether the tax base or the use of that property would, would uh, provide more density that would support other alternatives. You told me you've got a strategic plan that you're working on as well for the future of the agency. Talk yeah. a little bit about that. We're, uh, we started uh, this last, actually in December, we uh, have an outside contractor. We know what we're doing. We know we're, we're not changing ourselves in terms of we're still a transit agency. and But it's how we are structured, uh, how we organize internally, and also with our stakeholders, our external, to help us deliver those. Or what's the most effective and efficient way of, of uh, utilizing our workforce? And that our priorities are in a line, that departments aren't out there doing one thing, and that's, wait a minute, I'm tugging against another department and competing with resources. We should be moving forward. I envision it like, um, think of a school of fish. School of fish, they will ebb and flow and, and, and be in a group together. Uh, when adversity comes, like a shark, uh, they split up quickly, but they return immediately because they're focused. And you know, I know it's, there's a biological reason. But as an organization, looking at ourselves to remain focused so we're all moving in the same direction, whatever the ebbs and flows may occur. So not to say we're going to be a school of fish, but we need to be all focus tactically and strategically as an organization. That's wonderful. So in, in summary, you've, got, uh, you've worked hard to kind of prepare and make your agency efficient through things like the health insurance uh, and the clinic you have on site for your employees. By the way, uh, do, do you get feedback, one-on-one -on -one feedback from employees about them liking that? And Yeah, I think in the beginning, there was resistance of, oh, uh, you're just wanting to know about our health and you're going to fire us because somebody's got health. <laughs> Obviously, HIPAA laws, right. uh, and no, I don't even want to know. I just want to encourage you to utilize the clinic um, to participate in the wellness because there's a benefit to the employee by participating in the wellness where they get a reduction in their contribution to our healthcare program. If not, they're going to pay more. So there's an incentive. So people, some begrudgingly would utilize the wellness program, and then they start using it. Over time, now it's like, Dr. Molly's the great, or Sandy's wonderful, yes. she's helped me. When I have an, one of our, our team members come up to me and said, uh, 
the Weight Watcher program that you had here or the smoking cessation program. When somebody says, I lost 65 pounds. Wow. And thank you. Yeah. I mean, you say, okay, something's got to be working yeah. right. But it, it's too personal responsibility. Right. Uh, we can't dictate, but to help people with the resources available, will they take that step? And, and if it's a financial incentive, there's other little incentives that go along for achieving goals that, that the uh, coaches set up. So now it's participation for one, but now if they set a goal by their coach, then there's a there's an incentive for them to achieve certain things. So That's it's not great. all just participatory. Right. So you've got the efficiency of the organization, then you were able to get a, a good investment from the local taxpayers into yep. the transit system, right. and now you're in a plan over the next five years uh, to implement three new BRT lines, yep. expanded regular bus service as right. well, and, right. and you're also looking at developing an app uh, to kind of bring in where there's gaps in the system to bring in all the mobility providers. Yeah, and just, uh, boom, drop the mic, right? Is yeah. that it? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. The, uh, then you go on the consulting geez, trail after yeah. that, right? Uh, <laughs> but there's uh, it, it, implementing and, yes. and to, to deliver what you said you're going to deliver. Um, and the evolution that's occurring in our industry right now, whether it be the vehicle technology, mm -hmm. uh, the equipment, uh, the workforce, uh, availability, and their technical and skill abilities are all the challenges that, that we have. Uh, and finding you know, where mass transit, where public transportation plays, a, I think it's a vital role, it's an important role, uh, and to help people see the pride in what we're doing, but we're not the only game in town. Mm -hmm. And that's where I, it, we need to expand our horizons to think beyond and look at efficiencies beyond what we do. But uh, again, back to school buses, maybe we should be doing school bus. Maybe we should be handling parking as a collaboration. A lot of uh, things that could be done in the future. Well, I would say that the uh, the people of Indianapolis are well served to have someone like you, Michael Terry, as the yeah. CEO of their transit system to help uh, navigate what's coming over the next few years in the mobility uh, spectrum for this city and this region. Thanks so much for being with us today, Michael. Oh, Paul, thanks. Enjoyed the time with you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to from here. We're going to go out and look and even talk about it. Give us 30 seconds on your on your on where we're going to this afternoon. Well, we have a downtown transit center now, and it's very iconic. Feel free to go to indigo.net website, and you'll be able to see some photographs of it. It's an, uh, a 18-bay uh, it's uh, just been uh, certified as a gold lead. Oh, wow. Uh, we've not even announced that yet. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, so keep it to yourselves, yeah, this everybody. Won't go, this won't air yeah. for two months. So uh, yeah. so, uh, but it's uh, a lot of glass. It's, it's an iconic looking. Yeah. Uh, we just didn't want a brick or, or concrete structure that would hide. We want it to be very visible. And it has rain gardens and a park-like setting. Uh, it was for the customers, for our riders, and for the community. So uh, we're very, very proud of that. Congratulations. I'm looking forward to looking at it. It just opened up a year ago, right? Yes. Yeah, very good. Yep. We've had with us today as our guest, Michael Terry, President and CEO of Indigo, the Indianapolis Public Transportation Corporation, which operates the public transit service for Indianapolis and the surrounding region. Thanks so much for being with us today on Transit Unplugged. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, on Google Play, or at transitunplugged.com. I'm Paul Comfort. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.